this morning. If you are here and you're joining us for the first time, we hope that you'd feel welcome. We hope that you would feel safe in the midst of this pandemic. Um, and we hope that you would hear from God this morning. Our, our goal, my goal in this short time standing before you is not to give you a bunch of my opinion. It's rather to attempt to help us collectively hear what God has to say to us. And this morning we're going to seek to do that through the book Haggai. Haggai. So if you have a Bible, I'll give you 20 minutes to find the book of Haggai. Um, some of you will need to use the table of contents. Look through the book of Haggai and then open up to Haggai, and that's where we will begin. Uh, I want to welcome again those of you who are joining us online. I want to welcome those of you who are, who are here in person. And I want to say that um, I have a gift for you this morning. If you're here in person especially, there's a book I want to commend to you. It's a book called Rediscover Church, Why the Body of Christ is Essential. Um, this book, I want to give this to you for free if you'll read it. And so um, if you're interested in, in asking questions about in, in through it all through this last year, how do we rethink about the church? Uh, this book is a fantastic resource because a Christian without the church is a Christian in trouble. And so this book right here is wonderful. So there's free copies of this book available for you as you leave this morning. Feel free to grab one if you will read it. And if you read it and you want to talk about it, I'd love to have coffee and chat with you about it. So just that's, that's there for you for free. Uh, again, before we dive into Haggai, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for showing up yesterday to Serve Day. It was the best turnout we've ever had for Serve Day. We started Serve Day right before the pandemic, and it was kind of building, and COVID you know, threw a wrench into everything as the partners we were connecting with um, had different protocols, as we had different levels of comfort, and as a church that desires to serve the city really well, uh, it became tr tricky for us to figure out how to do that. So, um, so we had the best turnout we've ever had yesterday, which is an answer to prayer. And I want to say that for me, the highlight of yesterday was, uh, was being with my, my kids, uh, putting together these hygiene kits, putting toothbrushes and toothpaste and deodorant and snacks um, into a bag, and then to deliver them to the People Concern, which is an organization here in Santa Monica that is on the front lines of working with and caring for those who are homeless. And, and we, I arrived there yesterday with all of these hygiene kits. And, and before we brought them in to give them to people concerned, to have my, um, my seven-year-old and my ten-year-old pray over them. And to pray that as each one was being handed out, that the person who received it would know how loved they are by God. That, they would, that it would meet a practical need but that it would bless them, uh, that for me as a father was a joy. So um, I just I want to share that story with you because it's, it was beautiful yesterday. And for those of you who showed up and, and participated, thank you for doing that. We will continue to do them every quarter, and we hope that next one is even bigger and better than the last one. All right, Haggai. That's where we're going to spend some time together. I learned a lesson not too long ago that, I mean, I should have learned this when I was younger. So you should know this. If you're here and you're a little younger, I want you to hear this because it's a lesson that you should, you should, you should learn at a young age. It will save you a lot of misfortune. And, and that is just, it's this simple lesson. Every time you say yes to something, you are saying no to something else. Every time you say yes to something, you are saying no to something else. What happens in our lives is that we uh, often take on a lot. It is not uncommon for us, especially in a fast-paced city like Los Angeles, to feel as though our calendar fills up awfully quickly. We are on the precipice of Advent, a season where in which almost all of us, by the end of it, will be feeling exhausted from all the parties, all the events, all the gifts, all the connections, all the obligations that we have. 
If we are not careful, we discover that by saying yes to a lot of things, we end up saying no to other things. And I still to this day struggle with saying yes to the urgent thing over the important thing. You probably do the same. You probably have things in your life that are important, that you are dedicated to doing, and then you probably have all of these urgent things that pop up. And what, if, what happens is as we deal with the urgent things, if we're not careful, saying yes to the urgent things can de facto mean that we're saying no to important things. This is a lesson that you need to learn when you're younger if you want to live a life of wisdom. You have a limited amount of time, a limited amount of resources. And so our job as we grow is to, and grow older as we want to grow in wisdom, is to learn to say yes to the right things, which inevitably means we will be saying no to other things. You may discover that as you live your life, that you have been saying yes to a lot of things, and at the same time, you feel exhausted and busy and overcommitted and stretched too thin, and all of that is happening, and while you're doing all of those things, some of you here this morning feel perpetually unsatisfied. The question you're asking is, why am I doing so much and why is it yielding so little? Occasionally we find ourselves asking this question, why, why am I so unsatisfied? Or, or maybe we put it this way, there, there, ha there has to be more to life than this. There, there has to be more than the routine and the monotony. There, there has to be more than this. Some of you are here this morning and you are going through the motions of your life and you are so unsatisfied. Well, if you are here this morning, I want to talk about the missing thing in our lives and the way in which that missing ingredient will provide, I think, some great clarity for us as we long for satisfaction. We will hear from God this morning through the book of Haggai. Before we dive into Haggai, a book that I think will speak very directly to your heart about your dissatisfaction, about you feeling so unsatisfied about your feeling that something is missing. As we dive into Haggai this morning, I want to unpack some things and set some context. Haggai is an old book. It's, an, it's a minor prophet. We've said this every week. Let me continue to say it. The minor prophets are these ancient old books, but they're minor not because they are not important, but because they are smaller books. The book of Haggai, only two chapters. And yet in those two chapters, we believe that, that God has a word for us today. We believe that God wants to speak to us today. What a failure this morning would be if you heard from me and not from God. So, so my job today is merely to help us hear from the Lord through the book of Haggai. In order to understand Haggai, in order to get at that book, I got I to gotta set some context. So bear with me as we set a little bit of context. In 587 BC, uh, God's people are taken over by the Babylonians. If you've been following with us in Haggai, a couple weeks ago we were in Habakkuk, or if you've been following with us in the Minor Prophets, a couple weeks ago in Habakkuk, we looked at a text where God says to Habakkuk that he's going to use Babylon and he's going to force his people into exile, that they will be, uh, they will be in captivity to the Babylonians. And Habakkuk is wondering in that, in that book, how on earth, God, are you going to use the Babylonians? Well, God does use the Babylonians in 587 BC. Babylon comes in and the temple is destroyed. The people of God are displaced and the people of God are exiled. 
So God's people are exiled in a new land. The temple has been destroyed. They are lamenting as Babylon is victorious. Well, as time goes on, Babylon is ultimately overthrown by Persia. And Persia is now in charge. And Jerusalem is still in ruins. And the Persians said this to God's people. They said, you are in exile. Your land has been destroyed. Your temple has been destroyed. If you want to, you can go home. If you want to, you can go home and you can pick up the pieces of your life. And you can put the temple back together if you want to. And so a small group of them travels back to Jerusalem in order to rebuild the temple. They're led by two people. The, the first person they're led by is a high priest named Joshua. And uh, the second person they are led by is a leader in the line of David, David named Zerubbabel. Everybody say Zerubbabel. That's a fun name to say. You get Haggai and Zerubbabel this week. We're going to say Zerubbabel a lot. Haggai, so, so Zerubbabel is a leader in the line of David. Joshua is the high priest. They are leading this small contingency back to Jerusalem. And, and, and they're going to rebuild the temple. Well, they begin to sort of rebuild the temple and they discover, you know what, this is going to be a massive project. Let's hold off on the rebuilding of the temple. And let's instead start to just work on putting our lives back together. And for 17 years, they begin to sort of establish themselves once again in a land that they used to call home. But things were difficult. Things were challenging. There was a drought and times were hard. They felt kind of perpetually unsatisfied. Like they were building their lives, but they were unsatisfied, right? They were trying to put together the pieces of their, their broken life. And yet it just felt like something was missing. And into this moment, 17 years into the rebuilding project, God speaks to this guy named Haggai who has a message to God's people. People who are picking up the pieces after a season of difficulty. People who are trying to build their lives. People who are trying to figure out their future. God speaks to them through the prophet Haggai. Here's what I'm going to do this morning. We're going to walk through Haggai, which is just two short chapters. We're going to look at some stuff, and then we'll end, and I'll just apply this text for us as a church. But, but first, we're going to kind of hear from it as we walk through it together. So here's Haggai, a message to God's people in the midst of this rebuilding of their lives and in the midst of them feeling so unsatisfied. If you're here and you feel unsatisfied and you feel like you're trying to figure out your life, this is, this is a word for you this morning. This is Haggai chapter 1, the first 11 verses. It says this. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. It came to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought 
to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see it turned out to be little. What you brought home I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty? Because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces, on people and livestock, and on all the labor of your hands. God says, I'm gonna, I have a message for these two leaders. Zerubbabel and Joshua. And this is the message that God says. Tell the, the, the people are saying this. They're saying, we don't have time to rebuild the temple. Right? The temple's there. We kind of we came down here to, re, we don't have time to rebuild it right now. We've got to get our lives in order first. That's what people are saying. Notice that in verse 3 and verse 4. And God says to his people, you're so focused on rebuilding your life and it isn't working. And the first thing he calls them to do is to give careful thought. Notice that in verse 5, right? Give careful thought. Again, in verse 7, give careful thought. Consider how things are going. The first thing God said is, pause and consider how things are going for you. Consider your dissatisfaction. Consider. Take a step back and assess how things are going for you. Look at what's happening and ask why. Take a self-inventory. You feel like you're planting and yet there aren't any crops. You feel like you're eating but you're never satisfied. You're drinking and you're always kind of thirsty. You're wearing clothes but you aren't warm. You earn money and it just feels like you have a hole in your pocket. You never feel satisfied. And the first thing God says is stop and consider. You know, I wonder whether or not we know how to stop and consider anymore. I don't. When I feel dissatisfied, the first thing I do is I just grab this. Anybody else with me? Right? There's another game to play. There's more news to read. There's more social media to check. There's a new song to listen to. There's a new show to watch. I don't ever really have to feel dissatisfied because I can always entertain myself to keep myself from feeling that dissatisfaction. Do you ever feel that sense that you know how to, you never actually feel dissatisfied because the moment you feel that way, you just begin to numb yourself with some sort of distraction. This week, I don't know if you saw the data on this, screen time is like so, if you could invest money in screen time right now, you would make a killing, right? Because screen time is through the roof for kids and adults, for workers. Like, not only is it all we all kind of do in our work, but it's all we do when we're not. Does anyone remember just going to the bathroom anymore? <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, they're, like, like, it's just all the time for people. It's all of the time we are always consuming, never pausing to self-assess. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe the reason that God has you here this morning is just so, and then the friend, we, then you showed up and we said, pull out your phones and go to rc.link. And I mean, I get it, it's everywhere, right? But maybe, maybe one of the things God has for you this morning is just for this to be a space where you would consider. Consider how much you have. Consider all that you're doing. And ask yourself whether or not you are deeply satisfied or if you are deeply dissatisfied. Some of us have a voice in our heads this morning, if we will listen to it, if only we will sit still enough to hear it, a voice that tells us 
there has to be more than this. There's got to be more than this. See, they've missed something. Notice verse 9 in Haggai. You expected much, but it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty. Here's the reason why they're dissatisfied. God says, because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. Why are they dissatisfied? Why are they experiencing problems? God says, here's why. Because my house is in ruins and you're focused on your own house. Now, what's happening here, right? God is, the, the, they've returned home and the ruins of the temple are there and they considered maybe we should rebuild the temple and then they thought, nah, we have more important things to do. Now, is God somehow limited by the lack of a temple? Absolutely not. But here's what's supposed to happen. The temple was for God's people. The, it was God's dwelling place, the place where they met God. It was, it was a place that, where if they were, they were to think about their identity, the temple was to mark them out as a people who said, our priority, our identity, is that before we belong, before we do anything or belong to anyone else, we are God's people. And God has said, you, you, you have neglected that priority. You have failed to make my presence a priority. You are so busy focusing on building your life. You're so focused on your career and your family and your plans and your vacation and your friend groups and your, you're so focused on your life and your house and, and what you want. And God says, you have neglected. What's missing is me. It wasn't about the stones. It wasn't about the building. It was about them seeing that their identity, that, that in order for them to feel fully satisfied, they had to make sure that God was their priority. And once they made God a priority, once they chose to put God first, then they would experience the blessing. It's a matter of priorities. We are supposed to put God first. Jesus taught that the greatest commandment, the greatest commandment is that we would love God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, all our strength. Jesus said that's the most important thing. Last week we talked about idolatry. And we said idolatry is any time we lift something up to the place where we say, yes, God, good, yes, sure. But what's really important, what really has my heart and my mind and my soul and my strength, what I'm daydreaming about, what I'm working towards, what I'm constantly thinking about is this, this other thing. And when we do that, we make whatever that thing is an idol. Whatever we love more than God is an idol. Whatever we seek more than God is an idol. Whatever we're attempted, some of us, we're like, what we do is we try to use God to get something else. God, I want you for this other thing. And if you give me that other thing, then I will love you. But it's not you I want, it's you I want to use to get this other thing. We often want the gifts more than the giver. And our tendency, my tendency, brothers and sisters and friends, my tendency is to make good things God things. To make them like God in my life. There is an order to the way we were designed to love. First love God, then others, then self. And so look at what God is calling his people to. He says, you've prioritized your own life and you have neglected me. And some of us are here this morning and we, we say, I'll make God a priority when? After I get this in place, after I get that in place, once I'll, I'll give, I'll be generous when? When I have enough, when everything's established, when I've got enough time. That's when I'll, that's when I'll do that. 
right? I'll, I'll help serve when this is in place and that is in place. Once I'll get my own life sorted out, and then if I have anything left over, God, it's yours. For so many of us, if we are really honest and it taking, if we consider as God calls us to do, for so many of us, the missing ingredient in our life is that God wants to be first and so often we make him our leftovers. We give him our leftovers. God, give me this first, make this happen first, and then if there's anything left, it will be yours. And that's the problem. We've got our priorities all mixed up. That's why you're so unsatisfied. Because that that you have forgotten to make God first. You have neglected your first love. You pray when you need help, right? This is a, a thing I've been convicted about this week. That God desires us to pray at the beginning, not at the end. God wants prayer to be our first priority, our first resort, and not our last resort. To turn to Him first. So many of us are chasing something. Something we desperately want. Something that might even be good. But we've turned it into God. What thing, if you lost it, would almost feel like, if I lost that, I would, I would lose everything. What, what would it be that if it was gone for your, from your life, you would, you would feel like, I don't have any value or significance if I don't have that? What, what, what is it that if it was taken from you, you would feel like your identity and worth would disappear, would be drained from you? Whatever that thing is, the Bible says, is an idol. These people who are receiving this message, they were to prioritize the temple. Now, we know that the, the Bible teaches that, that the temple of God, right, was, 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 a, was an actual physical temple. But we also know that in the New Testament, the temple is the church, God's people. And so I, I just want to pause here and say I believe that this text has implications for us as the church. In 1 Corinthians 3, the, the uh, Paul writes this, he says, For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. The New Testament image of the temple is not a physical building, but a people. And, and here's, here's the reality. I think about how God says to Haggai, you have focused so much on your own house, and you have neglected the temple, and I wonder, I wonder if God would say to us today, hey, we are so focused on our own lives, we have neglected the call that we have to be about the building of his church. Whether we have, we have, we've got churches that are closed, we've got churches that are divided, we know that church attendance is down, and the tendency, I, I recently was talking to someone who, who uh, looking at the data and saying that um, many of the biggest churches, the sort of mega churches, their numbers are really struggling right now. And one of the reasons, I'm not saying this, this isn't an accusation, but some of the leaders of those churches are, are wondering, hey, maybe the reason is because we're losing consumers. Because if we're not careful, the church becomes a place where we consume rather than contribute. Our task as God's people is to be a part of building the church. We talk about building a church we are not saying, here's what that looks like. That looks like a bunch of us with our individual lives show up and we consume a service and then we sort of give money and then we employ someone else to build the church for us. No, it means all hands on deck. We are the temple. We are the living temple being built up. And it's our desire as a church to be a church, to be a people who point one another and the world to the beauty of Jesus as Savior and Lord. 
Discipleship is not something that I'm called to do and you're not. Let me, let me, let me press you a little bit. The call to go and make disciples, that's not a call. It's not pastors go and make disciples. It's not, it's not oh, oh, elders go and make disciples. No, it's like Jesus says it's all of his disciples are tasked with the responsibility of helping other people to follow Jesus. That's our job. We, we do it through evangelism, by sharing the good news of Jesus. We do it by serving our neighbors and meeting needs and acts of love and compassion. We, we do it through discipleship. We're, we're after disciples. That's what we're after. And so Haggai said to God's people, God said through Haggai, you've got to rebuild the temple. And as I was praying through this text this week, I wondered whether or not God would say to us as a church, hey, one of the things missing in your lives is not just that you're trying to build your life apart from me, but also that you're failing to prioritize the church which we have the responsibility to build together. Well, the, the people, right, they, they, they receive this. Zerubbabel and Joshua get this message. And look what happens in chapter 1, verse 12. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua and Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. They heard this message, and what did they do? They obeyed. It's amazing. It doesn't say they heard the message and then they talked about how they were going to obey. It doesn't say that they, they came up with some good ideas about how they should definitely, I definitely agree with that. I should definitely make God a priority. I will definitely think about doing that at some point. It doesn't say they did that. No, they feared the Lord and then they just obeyed. God said build the house and they, they started going to the mountains and cutting down trees. Verse 13, then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message to the Lord, uh, of the Lord to the people. God says, I am with you, declares the Lord. So he stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, gov and governor of Judah, and, uh, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month. They obeyed the voice of God. It's a miraculous thing when we hear and then we obey. I, I sometimes wonder if we have begun to believe that God is honored and worshipped by a people who give him lip service. I sometimes wonder if we think that what we're supposed to do is hear God speak and we're supposed to think about obedience and then go on and continue as though nothing is different. Thinking somehow God is honored in that. That they heard and they obeyed because they feared the Lord. And so they went into a frenzy of activity. They got to work doing what God had called them to do. And, and you got to know this, right? So that the people get together. They've got a charge and a mission. we got to work on the house. So they go and they start working on the temple. But as they're working on the temple, some people start going, you know what? I this temple doesn't look very good. The old temple was a lot better. Right? They started a, a project and they immediately got discouraged. Have you ever started a project that you thought you could handle and then all of a sudden you get into it and you discover, oh, I am way out of my league here. This is a bad idea. This is a real bad idea. We had in our backyard, we had a fire table. We had like a thing, an older fire table. And um, it had this tile on the surface of it. And I was sitting, this is a, a, a couple years ago, sitting around with some friends and our family. And we looked at this fire table and we were kind of looking at it. And we're going, man, the tile's getting busted. And we're like, we can fix this thing. Like, we can make this. We can make it nice. And um, we're like, we should, do, we should do that. We should, we had like, we started talking about the vision for what we could do. And then one of our friends, um, Ben, just got a hammer and just started hitting the table. And just started breaking everything, right? Got into full-on demo mode, right? Just 
breaking it and breaking it and breaking it. And we're like, yeah, this is awesome. We started breaking the table up, taking these pieces of tile, throwing it away, and just sort of doing it. And, and we kept breaking it. And then we hit some pieces that were like really stuck on there. So we started like getting some tools and just beating it up. And then we got into this project. And then it, we started looking at it. And we, and we started going, well, yeah, we don't know how to do this. Like, we got, like, demo, I'm all in on demo, right? Give me a sledgehammer, give me a something to tear, I can do that. But building it, we just kind of said, eh, I don't know. And then we said, maybe someone on Facebook will want this table for free, right? And so we went and put it out on Facebook Marketplace, someone took it, and we bought a new one. That's what we did. Um, but that feeling of, I just want you to understand this because what happens in, in Haggai is God calls his people to rebuild and they start doing it. They cut down trees, they start building. For one month they start building. But they don't like their work. They get discouraged because it's not as good as the old temple. They start to groan. They start to, have you ever done, have you ever started doing, okay God, I'll obey you. And then you get like a month in and you're like, I'm not so sure I'm happy with the results of this. That's how they feel. So it's a month into it, and some people are like, I miss the old temple. The old temple was better. Our work isn't very good. I don't like how this is. And a month later, Haggai chapter 2, they get another word from God. Haggai 2 verse 1. On the 21st day of the seventh month, it's a month later, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. So Haggai says something to them a month into this project. Verse 2, speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, and ask them, who of you is left who saw the house in its former glory? And how does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? Some of you, he says, some of you remember the old temple, and this one you're working on looks like nothing. Remember the good old days? Anybody have some people in their life who are always living in the good old days? The good old days were always behind us. Ah, the good old days. Ah, remember when the church was like this? Ah, those were the good old days. They weren't that good. But we think of, oh, they were so good back then. Oh, I miss back then. Oh, I miss the way things used to be. Oh, I don't like the way things are now. Oh, the good old days. That's what they're doing. You have to hear this, brothers and sisters, because this will get us. This is for us. Oh, remember when we were indoors? Oh, those were the good old days. Oh, remember that? Remember when we weren't wearing masks and it wasn't 61 degrees and we were freezing in Southern California? Oh, those were the good old days. If we're not careful, we begin to look backwards. We can call those days the good old days. So, so that's what they're doing. They're, they're discouraged in their obedience. So if you've ever been discouraged in your obedience, hear this, verse 4 in chapter 2. But now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest. Be strong, all of you people of the land, declares the Lord. And work, for I am with you. This is what I, verse 5, covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt. And my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. They're working, obeying, and complaining, and they're discouraged. And what does God say to them? He says, I'm with you. My spirit abides among you. You've got all these doubts, but I'm with you. You see, they couldn't see what was ahead. They couldn't see. A, a pers their perspective was so limited. They didn't see and they didn't like how things were going. But God says, I'm going to use the season you're in now in spite of your discouragement for something great in the future. You can't see now what I'm doing. But I'm doing something, verse 6, in a little while I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I'll shake all nations and what is desired by all nations will come and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. This house, this house, this, this house, you're going to fill this house with glory? 
This house is not like the old house. The old house was great. This house, I don't know how I feel about it. God says, yes, I'm going to fill this house with glory. God said, see, they thought they were responsible ultimately for God's glory. And God says, no, 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 no. You're not ultimately responsible for what I will do. Yeah, you don't have the money Solomon had. Yeah, you don't have the Ark of the Covenant. God says, put me first, do the work, let me handle the results. Somebody write that down. Put me first. Do the work. Be obedient. Let me handle the results, God says. What are you worried about God's glory? It was never your concern. It's always God's glory. And the work that they are doing, the work they're called to do, wasn't just an idea. It was always God's work. The work you're called to do in obedience is never your work. It's God's work. You don't have the skills or the resources to fill this church with God's glory. God does. You don't have the skills or the resources or the ability to control your life in a way that results in the outcomes that are best for you. God does. The work you're called to do is to put him first, to obey, and to trust him with the results. We often try to do God's work in our own power. The resources are his. The strength is his. It's his. His gifts. His plan. His vision. The question for us is not whether or not will we be responsible for the results, but will we submit to the Lord so we get to participate in the joy of what it is that God is doing. God says, I am with you. You have no need to doubt. My spirit abides among you. In verses 10 through 19 in Haggai, God reminds his people that they can't pursue disobedience and expect blessing. That they can't allow injustice to happen in their community and they can't be apathetic to the work of the Lord because it will just make things impure. But at the end of Haggai, it says in verse 20 of chapter 2, the word of the Lord comes to Haggai a second time on the 24th day of the month. It says, tell Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of foreign kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots and their drivers. Horses and their riders will fall, each by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. I imagine Zerubbabel thought, he was not a very good leader. Neglected the rebuilding of the temple. Got people stirred up to do it only to discover that they were discouraged about the work. But God says to Zerubbabel, I, I chose you for the task at hand. And my covenant remains secure. My purposes remain secure. In fact, Zerubbabel, I'm going to use you to do what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you that authority. You're the one who's going to represent my true promises. Zerubbabel probably feels like a failure. And God says, you can feel like a failure. I'm still going to use you. Because our hope is always in God's promises, not in our faithfulness. Our hope is in God's faithfulness, not our own. The promises God has for us require patience. The short term may be difficult. You want everything now, don't you? But it doesn't, doesn't work that way. Instead, we need to trust in God's promises. Trust that he's working in history. Trust in his commitment to his people. Trust in, his, in, in the knowledge of what he has said. This is, thus saith the Lord, is all throughout the book of Haggai. You can feel like a failure, but God does great things amongst people who feel like failures. If you feel like a failure, your call is still 
Make God a priority. Obey Him and trust Him with the results. Let me end by just laying this into our lap in a few ways. Here's, here's how I want us just to think about this. First, three things, three quick things as we kind of apply this text. First, one, first, consider. Take a moment to consider your life. Consider the why behind the what. Consider your life in light of Scripture. Consider your priorities. Where are you tempted to give God your leftovers? Is it your time? Is it your money? Is it your passion? Is it your identity? What are you tempted to say, I'm going to do this, and then if I have anything left over, God, then it will be yours. Where are you tempted to give God your leftovers? Consider that. Consider that. Two, become a builder. Work is our task. Our task is to build the church. Together we're called to build the church through evangelism, through teaching, through discipleship, through acts of compassion. We can't say we don't have time for that. There is enough time in your life to do everything God has called you to do. There is enough money in your life to be as generous as God has called you to be. You have enough. The question, but, but here's the deal. There might not be enough time for you to do everything God wants you to do and for you to do everything you want to do. There might not be enough for you to be as generous as God's calling you to be and for you to be as frugal as you want to be. We are called to make God a priority and that includes the building up of one another and the building up of his church. Set aside your comforts, brothers and sisters, to build the temple of God, to build his house. And if that seems daunting, I want to remind you that God will bless us. God is with us. Our job is to return to him, to make him a priority, to be obedient to him, and to trust him with the outcomes. So first consider, second Rebuild or build. And third, rejoice. I want to end on this hopeful note. In the end, God's faithfulness is stable when our faithfulness isn't. The unshakable kingdom of God would, would not be established by Zerubbabel. It would be established by Jesus. And when it was established by Jesus... Need, nothing in heaven and earth, not even death, could ultimately destroy it. If it's in Jesus' hands, it is truly unshakable. And God, in and through Jesus, through his life and death on the cross, invites us in, not to be a perfect people, but to be a people who trust him and receive his perfect faithfulness. If your priorities are mixed if you've given God your leftovers, if he is your missing ingredient, if you're honest with yourself and discover you haven't put him first, I want you to know that you, yes you, are invited to the party. But it involves a turning away, a turning from misplaced priorities, a turning from idolatry, a turning from seeing God as the one who we give our leftovers to. And a receiving, once again, of God's forgiveness, God's cleansing. And we can rejoice in that. It's easy, church, to be busy. It's easy to be distracted. Let's consider. Let's go all in on building together. And let's rejoice in the God who says that participation in the kingdom of God is not based on our faithfulness, but on his. Let's pray. Lord, we want you to be first in our lives. But that means we've got to move other things out of that slot. Lord, the honest truth is we have disordered loves. We love good things more than we should, and we love you often less than we are called to. So help us to love you first. 
Help us to love you with our whole heart, our whole mind, our whole strength. Help us to work in obedience to you and to trust you with the outcomes. Lord, help us to understand that our lives feel so empty because we have not put you first. You are the missing ingredient in our plan for our lives. We have not given our plans to you and asked you to speak into them, to shape them. We have not built them around obedience to you. Lord, help us to live lives where we would become more like you. God, we, we gather here to get together as a people recognizing that there are, there are Christians here who struggle with doubt. They are discouraged in the work. Help them this morning to see you and to hear your voice. I am with you. And Lord, there are people who are here this morning who are not Christian and they struggle with faith. They, they, they aren't comfortable in their doubts. Help them this morning to see that you are the missing ingredient in their life. Help them to see this morning that if they get success, if they get money, if they get fame, if they get wealth, if they get all those things they're pursuing and don't have you, then it ends up being worth nothing. For you are the God of the universe. You're the creator of heaven and earth. And you long, you long to draw us into your presence. You long to be first in our lives discovering that the peace we're after and the satisfaction we're after is found in you. Our hearts are restless, God, until we find our rest in you. Help us to do that this morning through this ancient book, through your word, the message of Haggai to God's people. May we hear this, Lord, as a message to us. And may we respond like they did not with lip service, but with obedience. It's in your name we pray.